Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, a surprise resignation in Trump's cabinet and how the mystery over a missing Saudi journalist could threaten tech deals. But first, the last great leak, maybe. Google yesterday disclosed that it had inadvertently made lots of user data publicly accessible related to its Google Plus product. And for those who don't remember Google Plus, which is likely most of you, it was Google's botched attempt in 2011 to create a social network to compete with Facebook and Twitter. People used it for a few minutes and then almost everyone stopped, except for some senior Google executives who still used it for public company announcements. But on the leak, here's the big news here. It's not new. The Wall Street Journal reports that Google first learned about it in the spring, but decided not to tell anyone. And that wasn't just lower level engineers. The decision went all the way up to the CEO. And in its response yesterday, to the journal story, Google basically shrugged its shoulders, saying it didn't learn of anyone actually accessing the data and that since so few people use Google Plus anyway, it's not that big a deal. No, that's not terribly reassuring, particularly for those of us who still use Google products like Gmail. And in fact, the only silver lining here might be that Google probably won't be able to pull this sort of thing anymore, nor will other Silicon Valley companies because all of them are now subject to a big European privacy law called GDPR, which requires them to disclose data leaks within 72 hours of learning about them. And if you want to do the math, 72 hours is less time than from back in the spring until October. Now, to be sure, GDPR is not a silver bullet. For starters, 72 hours might not always be enough time to plug the holes or identify intruders. Plus, it only applies if there was an adverse impact on users. But given how Google and these other big tech companies have been so secretive about data leaks, at least it's a step in a very needed direction. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on all this with Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Freed. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Ina Freed, Axios Chief Technology Correspondent. So, Ina, let's set the stage here. When Google first allegedly learned about this, it was at the time of kind of the Cambridge Analytica talk with Facebook, etc. Google not disclosing, was that simply to avoid bad PR? I mean, I think that not disclosing was partly about that. You know, I think they were sort of trying to figure out, look, if this data was available, but nobody knew it, do we need to tell? Does this go to a broader, and it seems to go to a broader thing in Silicon Valley, which is that when there is a potential leak of user data or a hack or something like that, that the default, at least historically, the default reaction has been, let's not talk about it publicly unless we absolutely have to. Is that a fair understanding of kind of the Silicon Valley ethos on privacy? And if so, is that changing either by force or by habit? I think that is the historical mode, or certainly the the default is at a minimum, let's understand it before we say anything, and sometimes understanding it means investigate it forever. I do think it's changing, and I think it's a combination of, I think, uh, yesterday aside, there is a growing understanding that tech companies have more responsibilities, as well as the push part, the force part that you mentioned in terms of legislation and regulatory pressure that's saying, you know, this isn't just up to you guys. Like, if you don't handle it better, we are going to step in. And I think we will see governments around the world step in. 
There's obviously the GDPR rule in Europe, and it's a little complicated. So it says that within 72 hours of identifying some sort of potential data leak, a company has to notify the authorities in the EU and make it public. But it's only, and I want to make sure I get this right, if there's been an adverse impact on users. So I'm curious, from your understanding of this, would what happened with Google and Google Plus apply here since Google says there was no adverse impact on users and actually says there are very few users to start with? It might well not fit that description. And remember here, what they're saying isn't that they found that somebody was accessing it. They found that there was some sloppiness, if you will, in the code that could have let somebody access it. So I think Google might not have had to disclose this, even if it had been post-GDPR. And remember, this was pre-GDPR going into effect. And I do think this is a gray area. I mean, one of the things that Silicon Valley thrives on are these really nerdy things called APIs, basically tools that let one piece of software access something that another company has. And these are very useful. It's what lets you, you know, book Uber from another app. It lets you access your Facebook contacts from an image program. It lets you post a thing. So these are things that are very useful, um, but they're also problematic. Think of it as sort of doubling or more the surface area for attacks, because anytime you open up that data, it opens up the possibility of misuse. From your perspective, you quoted somebody this morning in your login newsletter talking about how tech companies deal with hundreds of these things annually, or at least there are hundreds of these incidents annually, where a company finds a problem with its code, fixes the problem with its code, and doesn't think users have been negatively impacted. From your perspective, should companies disclose it anyway, even if there wasn't anybody that they can identify as being negatively impacted? Well, you know, the easy answer would be to say yes. We, we don't want to just stick with easy answers? Uh, no, not in this case, because, you know, anytime you also give out information, you do run the risk of, you know, pointing attackers in the right way. And I'm not saying that companies don't have a, a duty to disclose when they've been hacked or, you know, they have reason to believe information's been compromised. But think about it. Do you really want every flaw to be out there that's been found? I mean, what you want is these companies to aggressively penetrate their stuff early internally to try and find the mistakes. I mean, you want companies constantly looking for holes and plugging them. You don't want there to be a negative consequence for behaving well. So it's a complicated question. I'm curious, could you see Google, as you say, today in this post-Cambridge Analytica world, could you see them launch a new social networking platform, but obviously getting rid of Google Plus just because it's kind of like if Coke was coming out with new Coke again, it wouldn't call it new Coke. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think they didn't help themselves either in name, but I, I think in practice uh, with what came out yesterday, I think if they had any such plans, they're probably on hold. You know, I think it's tough. I think tech companies aren't by nature very social, both from the engineers on down. I mean, that that's just a fact. And I, I think Google hasn't shown itself very adept at social. It's okay at sharing information collaboratively, but not very social or hip. And so I'd be, I think it unlikely. Even Google Photos, for example, which is a huge hit, I, you know, it's a great way to back up your photos, hasn't developed into an Instagram rival, for example. Ian, a final question for you, and it's off topic, but since I have you, I have to ask. Last week, there was a Bloomberg story which talked about a potential backdoor vulnerability related to basically hardware and, and related to companies from everybody, from Apple to Amazon, et cetera, and that Chinese government could kind of get in the back door of these companies. Bloomberg makes a huge story of it. All of these companies, or at least most of them, have denied it and denied it very forcefully. And we have this weird situation where it seems either Bloomberg is wrong or the companies are lying, and there doesn't seem to be much gray in between. Where do you fall on that scale? 
yeah, like everyone else, I think I'm scratching your, my head. I think you, you hit it well in that, you know, I don't think there's a lot of middle ground here. I mean, it's possible something got lost in translation. You know, I tend to think that there wasn't, it certainly wasn't as simple as Bloomberg portrays it, that there was a spy chip hidden on all these motherboards, unless you believe there's a giant, vast conspiracy involving big tech and the governments of the U.S., U.K., and China, which is a pretty wide conspiracy, and I I tend not to be that big of a conspiracy theorist. Thank you so much to Ina Freed, not wearing a tinfoil hat today. Apparently, Chief Technology Correspondent for Axios will be back right after this with my final two. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a surprise resignation at the White House this morning, with Nikki Haley stepping down as ambassador to the United Nations, effective at year end. And inside the Oval Office, Haley and Trump told reporters she had first broached the idea of resigning six months ago and plans to actively campaign for Trump's reelection in 2020. It has been an honor of a lifetime. I said I am such a lucky girl to have been able to lead the state that raised me and to serve a country I love so very much. There's lots to digest and lots of reasons why this matters, but here are two big ones. First, it leaves just five women in cabinet or cabinet level positions in President Trump's administration. That's five out of 23, not including UN ambassador. Second, Haley was considered a pretty forceful advocate for Trump's policies at the UN, but with a much less confrontational demeanor. In short, she seemed to be viewed as a pretty honest broker, not just internationally, but even domestically by Trump critics. And finally this morning, we still have no idea what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, a journalist and Washington Post contributor who disappeared last week after visiting the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in order to get some paperwork. Khashoggi is a Saudi native now living in the U.S., and Turkish government sources reportedly believe he was murdered inside of the embassy and then had his body removed as payback for his critical writings on the Saudi government. The Saudis, of course, call that preposterous, saying Khashoggi left the embassy, and after that, well, they have no idea because he left the embassy. Obviously, a foremost importance here to Khashoggi's family and friends and colleagues is finding out if he's okay. But from a broader global business perspective, any validation of the Turkish murder theory would put a big chill on all of the Saudi money flowing into overseas investment efforts, including those giant SoftBank vision funds that invest huge dollars into tech companies like Uber. Saudi's crown prince recently said that the country would invest another $45 billion into SoftBank Vision Fund 2, which hasn't been raised yet. But it's hard to see how SoftBank could accept that money if the allegations are verified. Bottom line, take a very close look at who chooses to attend Saudi's second annual Future Investment Initiative Conference in two weeks. Last year's was packed with kind of the biggest names in global business. But if some of those folks don't show again this year, then you know that the Khashoggi situation is already having a negative impact. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national moldy cheese day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.